right, guys, coming a little bit late this week. Uh, it was Labor Day, so I apologize. That was my fault. That being said, we have a great episode coming up your way. We're talking about the jolts and jobs reports from last week. Upcoming earnings, of course, we're going to do a deep dive into as well as some earnings from last week. So sit back, relax. It is Monday or sorry, it's actually Tuesday. We recorded this on Friday of last week, but it's got some really good stuff. So sit down, relax and enjoy the show. But we're underway. And I Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 91 of Pounding the Table. It is Labor Day weekend and no one wants to work too hard, so we'll be talking about the jobs report, of course, today. But we got college football and professional football on the way, Joe. You're not a Florida guy, though. You're a UCF guy? UCF. 56-6 to six over Kent State, baby. Everyone was on Florida because of the Swamp Kings, I think. Utah took that one down. Minnesota, my hometown. The Gophers had a big victory. So I'm pumped for college sports, man. And NFL, me and Shy did a little fantasy squad. I have about uh, 40 different teams now, I think. I have like four main fantasy teams. And then on underdog, I probably have honestly 33, I think, now. Have you done the underdog yet, Shy? I haven't. It's amazing. Like, I'm addicted to it. Uh, my girlfriend's annoyed because I'm always on it now when I hang out there on the couch, but I'm stoked. And all of you guys can actually join us on Underdog. So if you guys have not signed up, check the description. PTT Pod is the promo code. And all the pounders can now join us in the fun. So sign up for Underdog if you guys have not, because it is actually incredible. Best ball runs through week one. I think they're going to be doing a few things throughout the year. And then they have this awesome pick them. So we'll be giving a lot of those out as well. But we said it was Labor Day, Joey. No one really wants to work. That was the big news this week. Yeah. So the ultra fake jolts data, it finally came in to where people enjoyed what they saw. So, you know, with all the rate hikes going on, they wanted to show that it's actually having some sort of effect. So to show that it was losing steam, that was taken well by the market, which then kind of carried over into today's job data, which I, I guess is making people think that a rate hike in September is off the table. But I haven't seen what the updated odds are. I know Shai has been following that closely. So Shai, what do you think about the odds given the jobs data today? It's, it's not going to happen. Not a not a chance. So I'll give you some context. So for the June payroll, the jobs number that came out today, there's a revision. That's I want to really talk about. Estimated 230,000 jobs for June. Initially came at 209. So under, that's bullish for the market. First revision comes in from that number. Oh, it's 185. Oh, bullish. New second revision today, it's 105. So think about this. If the 105 number came, against a 230 estimate, the feds wouldn't have raised rates their last Fed meeting. And for sure, would have just paused and got more information, more data. So I can't imagine the feds hiking again because the revised number, I don't think they would have hiked in the first place. I'm not saying they're going to cut rates, but this is an example of why feds are using data that's like not current snapshot and why they always overstay their welcome when they maintain these high rates or increase them. So. I think that's why the market's kind of reacting or was now. I think it's pretty flat right now, but I do want to caution 
right now, bad news is good news for the market. We're very delicate spot right now in the economy where like bad news is good news, but it cannot stay bad news for too long. I was going to say, why do you, why do you guys think it matters now? Because the past 10 episodes, we keep saying jobs reports don't matter. Is it because there's such a, a gap from what they estimated versus what it was? Or why it's, do you think the yeah. dip is accelerating? The numbers are like not good past couple months, which is like bullish for the market, but it's going pretty aggressively for the past two or three months. So initially it was pretty staky. It wasn't moving too much, but the last two months has been pretty aggressive with the decline. So hoping it bottoms out, but if it continues this trend, it might be pretty ugly come November, especially like when the companies like have to put in their plans for 2024, set aside the budget numbers and like figure out goals to communicate to the public. They're going to be very cautious or even more aggressive if the data that they're seeing within their company or even in the economy ends up being like really, really bad. And Joe, do you do you agree or do you have a different take on this? I mean, it, it sounds it sounds right. It, so it, with what I do, I never really focus on things like jobs, jolts, all this stuff. I, I feel like it's, it's all insane and all noise. <laughs> um, it's something that, you know, people focus on in the short term that makes them more or less bullish for the long term, which doesn't always make sense to me. I'm focused on finding companies with staying power that excite me for the next 10 years that something like Jolt data for like the month of August or something like that doesn't impact them at all. I, I want to add some more context. Like the market was pretty, was raging pre-market, like it was up almost one percent the 10-year immediately reversed like 30 minutes into open it dipped from the jobs like revision that we saw then all of a sudden it went from 4.06 to the dip all the way back up to 4.18 so that's what caused the market to erase all the gains they got today and there might be some vitality behind like what i'm saying on like maybe bad news isn't good news anymore like nobody knows when that's going to pivot that narrative but that was a pretty surprised like pivot that we saw today on the ten year treasury. Apple just started using three D printers to manufacture some of their future devices, shifting from traditional resources. Is this obviously a cost reduction? I'd imagine. Is this a shift away from China to try to bring things more to the United States, or what's going on with that? So I didn't see where exactly these would be printed. If they start doing this, I saw an interview with Bloomberg. I think it was Mark Gurman was the guy's name. And essentially what he said was this was a way that they could cut down on manufacturing times and that it could also reduce costs. Because think if it's not a person manufacturing these and it's a machine, it can be quicker, more efficient and bring down the costs. Now, given margin pressures from supply chain inflation around the world, I could see this could shave off a little bit. But... I guess they got to see if something like a 3D printer could make as quality. Uh, I want to say it was the watch that they were doing at first and that they were going to try to expand into other products. So I guess depending on how well the first run goes and if consumers can even tell a difference, then could see if they expand this to other product lines. Visa was in the news. They announced payments are up 7% for the month of August. They also are going to be raising fees alongside MasterCard which were their charging purchase. They just have the stranglehold. And the other piece of news that kind of combines with this was obviously that spending. So spending's going up. People are, are losing their jobs, right? 
So are people using their credit cards a lot more because they don't have the cash to pay for the goods that they want, essentially? Well, so this has been all over the place. And I've actually been very, I guess I've researched this quite a bit. So yeah, you've got Visa and MasterCard is kind of like the two-headed monster. And they're talking about raising fees. The Wall Street Journal was talking like it could be October and April, I want to say, were like the two times that fees were going to go up. And then it was going to be merchants were going to be paying an extra $500 million plus in these fees. And they would then have to pass that on to consumers because they won't be able to eat that. So you'd either see people start charging these credit card surcharge fees, or they just raise their prices on their goods or services to do. So you think like people are already in a credit crunch or already facing ridiculous prices. Now this is just going to be another fee on top of everything they're paying. And then, yeah, you've got what uh, it was household debt or total credit card debt exceeded $1 trillion the New York Fed had put out. So I don't know if it's just people like me out there. So I don't use a debit card for anything. I never have cash. I don't write checks. Like I use credit cards for everything because if something goes wrong, the credit card company, they've always got your back. Yeah, I know if I've got some fraudulent charge on my Amazon Visa, I just call them and, and they take care of it, issue me a new one. I've just never liked the idea of debit cards and something hooked directly to your bank account. I don't know if it's just people getting used to that because then you could generate some rewards. And if that one trillion was just like middle of the month before people pay their bills or what's going on there. But if this is people not paying their bills to prioritize elsewhere, the other huge issue you've got is if people are going to start paying back their student loans, they're going to be not paying bills elsewhere. So if people are going to start paying their student loans to not pay their credit cards, that's going to be an issue. Or are they going to stop going out to start paying their credit card bill and their student loans? It's mm -hmm. going to impact the economy overall, but they can't keep kicking the student loan bill down the road. And I feel like the only way they could do this is to try to put some sort of cap on the credit card companies from increasing too many fees. Well, I was going to say, is this not like an antitrust issue if, if the two well, so percentage they hold seems like it? You've got two senators that are going after Visa and MasterCard right now. It's like Dick Durbin and Roger Marshall. They're trying to create the Credit Card Competition Act to basically force other players into the market to not just let Visa and MasterCard have a stranglehold on it. The problem there is because they're so big, it's almost like they have pricing power due to the fact. So what these merchant coalitions and everything are saying is that by forcing more competition, it's actually going to make it more expensive for consumers. It's like having Visa MasterCard as the one and two and, and dominating this is actually good for prices, but it's, it's all a mess. So, and, and I kind of like take the side of the private side of things because anytime government gets involved in anything, it gets worse. So yeah. especially with something called the Credit Card Competition Act, it's like, the Inflation Reduction Act. If you read that, it goes back to that Edward Snowden interview I watched years ago, the Save the Puppies Act. And he's, what's in it is never going to be Save the Puppies. Anything that's named something that you think, oh, that sounds like a good idea, is probably the worst possible idea. Keep government out of it. All right. So Intel is spending $1.2 billion in Costa Rica. It has to be more than just the views, Joey. What are your thoughts on Intel going to Costa Rica. I said, you didn't care. He said, NVIDIA, this is like your new Tesla love affair with chips. It's NVIDIA only now? Oh, I, I just feel like in the chip space, NVIDIA, NVIDIA, AMD, those guys are the ones that are like the new, you know, lead horses in this market. Intel is kind of like the dinosaur that we're leaving behind. 
But you wanted to say Intel's similar to Jalen Hurts. And I didn't really know <laughs> that's possible. But I don't know how that's possible. No, I, I, if anything, Jalen Hurts would be like NVIDIA, right? I was going to say, I think like Kirk Cousins dude. is Intel. Wow. Always there. Not like, really, not really man, like dude. improving to the next level. Not getting worse. Just solid. <laughs> like Walmart. A bit of flair. No, but hey, so, Walmart's con- crushing it right now. I know. Don't sleep. Some context, though. <laughs> behind like the chi- chips I-, I can bring some like actual facts bring the analogy up we were talking yeah. about before the show because it was hilarious okay so analogy that joey was bringing up earlier in the show oh. was football base where he was targeting receivers and like running backs who benefit from like elite quarterback play because mahomes hurts lamar jackson they're all like getting drafted in the first two rounds and like all of us agree like we don't like get- targeting a quarterback in the first two rounds there's too much value in running backs and wide receivers so then we were also then talking about how that can like relate to the stock market or specifically chips because there's so many players in the chip industry. So as we all know, like everyone you talk to is obsessed with NVIDIA, but there's so many different ways you can play this new thematic of what semiconductors will be. So I brought up to Joey, like, why don't you love Supermicro then? Because they make 20% of NVIDIA's data center revenue. So in its essence, Supermicrocomputers is like the wide receiver that's going to benefit from the the elite quarterback the the aj brown exactly of jalen hurts aka nvidia or you can yeah exactly another fact i want to bring up for intel they need to figure out ways strategically to still be in the game or the realm of conversation of which chip leader is going to benefit the most down the line so they are like i'm looking at the stats right now put together a comp tool that soon you guys can access on the website Intel right now is negative free cash flow growth. Their revenue this year is negative 14%. Like, why would you invest money in that when NVIDIA is growing top line triple digits, free cash flow pods? They're making so much money, like stupid amount of money. I think the net income they reported last quarter was more than the revenue they generated that time last year. That's insane. For a trillion dollar company to do that, it's insane. But anyway, that was the analogy we talked about, which is it is helpful because when you bring sports involved into something as complex as like semiconductors, even stocks, it makes it more simple, easier to digest that down the line. It's stickier to remember when you mm-hmm. like see these names pop up in stories or like even in conversations. I was just looking this up. It makes sense. So geographically, it's very close to Panama, right? So the Panama Canal is very helpful for commerce. And then also... Obviously, the friendly relationships we have with Costa Rica. Uh, Tesla news. Of course, we cannot forget Tesla. The DOJ and SEC are going to investigate a secret glass housing project called Project 42. Is this like the Jackie Robinson uh, house? What is this? Project 42. It sounds So everyone could see him train for the fight against Zuck. That's the only reason he made this. Is this for real? I, I... I didn't look into it. I gotta look this that up. much. Pause for a special guest. Theo, welcome to Pounding the Table. Do you have a stock you like for us today? What <laughs> stock do you like? Can you just yell it into the mic? Hi. Ticker symbol high. H-I. You know, his call on Netflix is pretty great. I'm buying Hillenbrand. All right, boys. Short week as we promised. Labor Day weekend. We all want to chill. It is Friday. You wanted to touch on earnings. CrowdStrike had uh, nice little earnings. Yeah, CrowdStrike, it finally got all year. My portfolio, Snowflake was my number one holding. CrowdStrike just jumped it with how strong of earnings they just had. 
I, I think it's insane how much they deliver. Like we talk about beach socks all the time on this pod. I think CrowdStrike belongs in that almost where you don't have to worry about them underperforming on their earnings. They're just reporting such strong operational metrics. And examples like the deals that use more than eight modules is up 80% year over year. That's wild. Their dollar-based net retention still in like the 20s, mid-20s. I think it's 125 they reported. And I thought they were, they were, all their like rates were terminal, like their free cash flow, net income. I was wrong. Like their free cash flow just went up ni- 39%. They have so much leverage that like everything, all their metrics were going up 200 basis points. I think it speaks volume with how like aggressive, how easy of a job they're doing upselling some of their products were. Like 63% of the customers are now using five more modules. I also want to say that they have zero customer churn. Like when I looked the um, earnings report, I think it said 98%. That's practically nothing. Like n- customers aren't churning on their products. I'm like really happy when I saw a crowd strike. I don't think it belongs under 160 at all. I think it should. I'm hoping it inches closer and closer to 200 bucks. Like using our PTT model, they're compared against other comps in cybersecurity, they're definitely on the cheaper side. And that should not be the case. Especially with my thesis being, I know they're not going to like eat Zscaler's lunch, but like at the end of the day, I do think they're going to be the all-in-one platform for cybersecurity. Yeah. So with CrowdStrike, it, I, I've owned this one since 2019. Absolutely love it. George Hertz, George Kurtz is a absolute beast. So yeah, to see revenue up 37%, annual recurring revenue up 37%, free cash flow was amazing. So you see they're doing $731.6 million in revenue and they did $188.7 million in free cash flow. Talking about a 25.8% free cash flow margin on that. Just incredible for a company growing this fast. Let alone like you look at any competition in the space that just... So Palo Alto Networks is still doing great. Zscaler is still doing great. Not direct comms, but like I guess editors in cybersecurity overall. But it's just it continues to deliver on all metrics. I, I saw it got downgraded earlier this week, like going into the report and it easily just had to call it a clown grade because it made absolutely no sense. Avi and I have discussed this many times, like you want to own the best or like the gold standard in any industry, just use the KISS method. Keep it simple, stupid. Own the best, add to the best, any weakness, add to it. I was hoping the downgrade would get it down more significant so I could add to my position, but earnings did its thing and it's off to the races. But this is one of those that I feel like long-term is going to be significantly larger than it is today. Still only a $38 billion company. And you look at the opportunity it has over the next decade, cyber uh, hacking, all this stuff, it's only going to get worse. So a company like CrowdStrike is only going to become more important for enterprises over the long-term. And those are the situations you want to invest in. Something that is essential and only going to be more important in the future. Also an important highlight, like they reported a gap profitable quarter. That was surprising, especially since they dilute their, sh- they have high SBC as any company should if they're growing the top line 30% every year guaranteed. I also want to call out like they have $3 billion in like net cash on their balance sheet. That's incredible. I don't, I don't know what Sentinel one is like even worth their market cap, but like that just shows how far ahead like CrowdStrike is against Sentinel One. Like they should not be compared with each other at all. Well, yeah, so like the thing with Sentinel One, so they reported too, and it, it was it, good growth on the top line. But like you said, so like uh, I want to say Sentinel One grew forty seven percent on the top line. 
but they're still losing a ton of money. So you've got CrowdStrike growing 37%. They've been, you know, free cash flow positive for a while now. Like it's apple and orange situation on the financial front. Yeah, you could say they somewhat compete on a product or solution basis. But when you're talking operational efficiency and overall like investability, night and day difference. I'll give you a good metric to uh, compare them against. So the rule of 40, as you guys know, you just take the rev growth and the free cash flow of margins. And that gives you the rule of 40. Like elite, elite software stocks, it's 40 and higher. CrowdStrike just reports a score of 63. Guess what Sentinel-1 is? 31. That's not even close. It's just not even close. That's not comparable at all with what they're reporting. Why would you invest in Sentinel-1, who's growing low 40s, when you can invest in CrowdStrike, who's growing in like the mid, low to mid 30s, and they're just so profitable and just executing so flawlessly, and they're the gold standards. It doesn't make sense why you just... Yeah, you the one Sentinel-1 has going for it is it's got like $1.1, $1.2 billion in cash, no debt, and the market cap, it, it's trading like two or three times cash. Last time I checked, maybe four times cash. Well, that isn't... And that doesn't excite me. And I feel like Sentinel One, one of those, if they can reach profitability, free cash flow positive, anything you know, good on the financial front while still growing over 40%, then it's a situation, hey, catch it on the upswing. Like if the situation changes, it's not too late. Like even CrowdStrike, you could feel like you're left behind because it's up so much since 2019. It's still early innings of its long-term growth story. So that's what people always got to focus on. Like, you don't have to find the next CrowdStrike when CrowdStrike itself is still so attractive. Also, like, great point. Don't catch a falling knife. We've noticed, like, you guys have all seen the past, like, three to six months, the cheap stocks can get cheaper very easily, aka PayPal, Disney, C-Limited. Like, there's no... Another one with that is Adyen. I'm sure everybody's been hearing about Adyen all over Twitter. And as soon as the stock was down 30%, all under $10, oh, it's for sure going to go higher because, hey, it was 15 and now it's 10. And it's this great business. I'm like, I've seen a lot of great businesses with stocks that continue to go down and valuations get even cheaper. And all these people on Twitter are like, oh, this is a no brainer, blah, blah, blah. Like, well, why is it? Because it's only X times sales or X times 30, X times whatever metric. What is to stop it from going from this number, say, just making something up. What's to stop a stock from 20 times earnings going to 15 or to 10? Like, other than like what you think it should be. The market or a stock will trade at what the market is willing to pay for it because you think it's cheap and 17 other people on Intuit think so. You guys do not have enough firepower to drive that stock back to where you all think it should go. So if a stock's down and you feel like, hey, this is a no-brainer, you still want to be disciplined, slowly scale into the position because I've seen cheap stocks get very cheap and it's usually for a reason. And I think when Sean and I were looking into this, it's a great business, great margins, great numbers, but we've seen the same thing with PayPal. Great business, great margins, great numbers. And the valuation, oh, it's only 20 times four earnings. Oh, it's only times 15. Now it's only times 11 times four so what's to stop Adyen from trading at a similar multiple? Oh, its growth rate's a little bit higher. What's to stop it from getting it? Trading like in line with other peers. So we always got to know is like the market will price a stock where it wanted to go, not where you think it should be at. Yeah, yeah not- price follows sentiment. So like more, even more names you guys want to relate to. Etsy still hasn't really recovered. Fiverr hasn't really recovered. 
Zoom Info hasn't recovered. Twilio hasn't really recovered. Roku hasn't recovered. They're cheap for a reason, reason until some kind of narrative changes that's pivotal to a thesis or to whatever their business model was that analysts haven't really forecasted in their estimates. Like, just be cautious out there. Like, it really does get cheaper very quickly and can be frustrating because let's say you invested in like those names I was mentioned. You missed out on investing in MongoDB, NVIDIA, or these names are skyrocketing to like all time highs. And I think we'll close it out because we've been rambling on about the same thing for a, a while now. Is I think Chris Peruna on Twitter had posted this, or it could be someone else, but they asked, Would you rather buy a stock at its 52 week high or its 52 week low? And it's one of those that people always seem to think in the opposite. Oh, wow, this stock used to be here at 100 and now it's 50. Oh, I've got 100% upside if I buy this. It's not always the case. So when I'm looking at, I'll give two perfect examples. I'm looking at Uber which is 5% off its 52-week high. It's at 47, 52-week high is put at 49, 49. And you've got Adyen in the eights with its 52-week high at 15 or 16. I am much more interested in Uber because it is near a 52-week high. It's still attractively valued. It's turning the corner, becoming this free cash flow machine. S&P 500 inclusion is coming next year if they continue to deliver. So much is going for it. It's like you're buying a stock that's on the uptrend because of great things. You're not trying to pick a bottom on a stock that used to be great, that seems to be fumbling, but has a declining share price. It's like you want to invest in great situations that can continue to be great, like an Uber, a CrowdStrike, something like that, rather than the turnaround. I mean, look, Uber and Lyft, right? Like the tear. Yeah. Perfect. Uber and Lyft, that's exactly like CrowdStrike and Zscaler. It's too complete. It might have a- Central one, Z- not Zscaler. That's oh, Central yeah, yeah. one. Yeah. The Uber Lyft comparison exactly like CrowdStrike and Sentinel one, where it's just completely different financial profiles. Yes, you could say the platform is similar. It does the same thing, fights off cybercrime, but these are not the same. How about MongoDB? That's one of your favorites, Shy. They just blew out their earnings, did 40% year on year. It's a database company at the end of the day. And like every app they use uses their the, their business. It's a usage-based model. They are just like outperforming everyone's expectations. Like when you think which stocks are like killing it this year in 2023, everyone goes to NVIDIA. I truly believe MongoDB needs to fall in that category. Like last quarter, not the one yesterday, the one quarter before, they just beat every estimate by twofold for like the bottom line. They destroyed the estimates on the top line as well. So like that caught off everyone, caught everyone off guard. I think the stock went up like 20% that day. So people were like were nervous entering this earnings report, as was I. Like I was telling you guys, this can dip really quickly at th- under 300 if they don't execute a perfect quarter like they did before. Well, guess what they did again? I think the estimates were like $1.55 for the full year estimates, and they estimated $2.40. For the last quarter, EPS, the estimates were $0.46. Cents. They came in at $0.93. Cents. Again, they're just doubling the bottom line. They're growing the top line 40% last quarter. I know entering this year, the full year estimates for revenue was supposed to be like 17%, not sexy at all, under 20 is not a good sign really for tech growth tech. Now they're coming in the high 20s. That's a huge revenue estimate revision. So they're just executing perfectly. I cannot be any happier with the company. I do wish I added more last year, but this is a two-bagger for me. And it's number four position in my portfolio and I cannot be happier. They're like Alice, their cloud 
segment of their company, Atlas, is growing 38% year over year. And now it's making up 63% of total revs. That's incredible. Like this used to be in the mid 40s last year. So the thing with Mongo, so I first bought this in 2018. And it's one of those, you've seen the financial profile, everything about this. The top line growth has always been impressive. And, and like Shai was saying, the first quarter is where everybody was like sandbagging it so hard because, you know, even back in June, the market wasn't as attractive as it might seem today. So it beat on all the metrics, but it wasn't all that impressive of a quarter. And that was the problem. So like it was 29% top line growth. It, we're used to see this growing significantly faster. And so you'll even see like the social sentiment around the stock was exactly like Shai said, it has to be a perfect quarter for this to go higher. It was almost like set to plunge if it did not. And because like you look at the non-gap net income per share or the revenue growth, like it seemed pricey on both metrics. If growth stayed in the 20s, high 20s, they didn't want it to be like the, the data dog situation where you have growth in the 40s to talking mid 20s and then guiding towards more of those mid 20s. That's what you couldn't afford to do. And then lo and behold, Mongo comes out with the 40% growth and outlook much stronger. So they, they delivered in every way that they could and maintain a very strong outlook. So yeah, this one, not to say like they dodged a bullet, but they almost showed that they shouldn't be underestimated. I also want to say there's some, you have to know a lot about MongoDB's like strategy on how they go, like how management goes about their strategy. You can see, oh, wow, it's a really expensive stock for a company that's not positive free cash flow. That's on purpose. Like they can get as much money as they want upfront from these customers. And have that strong free cash flow number that everyone always wants to look for. But they're playing the long-term game where they're telling the customers, pay as you go. Like They just want them in the door because they're so confident in their product that's going to be sticky that they'll stay. And they're going to make that make back that money that they could have requested up front. Like two, three, four folds like down the line. So like, I think they yeah. have so much operational leverage that it's not really priced in. And I think that's why they keep just absolutely destroying estimates. And that's one of the keys is they've got uh, a good financial profile to be able to do exactly that. Let customers come in, pay down the line. If it was one of the, say it was a stock at a 52 week low, burning cash every quarter, that's when you get companies get pushed into a corner and they start treating their customers different, their sales teams have to sell differently. And that turns people away because it's, oh, you know, this isn't, do I want to go through this entire process of onboarding some new software or platform, if they could be in a crunch and then I have to do this all over again in the, in the coming years. So having Mongo continue to deliver while giving that best in show type experience for the customer is why they continue to deliver. Let's get into earnings next week to wrap up the show. Monday, we got trip.com after the close. Tuesday, we got Zscaler, GitLab, Asana, Health Equity. Wednesday, AI, ChargePoint. On Wednesday, we got UiPath, GameStop, C3 AI, ChargePoint, Dave & Buster's, Ouchbase, American Eagle Outfitters. Glad you put that one on there. Thursday, DocuSign, Smartsheet, Braze, Planet. Friday, we got Kroger, and I don't know what this last ticker is. Rent the Runway. Rent a Runway. Rent the runway. A lot of these, see, a lot of these companies need to be acquired. So when I'm putting on like my, my M&A hat, it's like, okay, well, first off, Zscaler has a perfect setup because, well, so here's the problem. And now I said it's a perfect setup because you can count on a great quarter because Palo Alto, CrowdStrike crushed it. Even Sentinel-1 had good growth. So you know Zscaler is going to be, they're going to be good. 
Problem is their stock has gone from high 130s to high 150s because of others. So now they've got to report a quarter that justifies the increase seen from these other results. So that is something a lot of direct comes, just like, you know, Home Depot used to report the day before Lowe's or vice versa, and you can see a bump from those. GitLab, I feel like that needs to be acquired by Google. I think Google still has a stake in them and maybe even increased it. Asana, I mean, the CEO owns too much of that. He, he always wants to buy more. Um, ChargePoint, I feel like that is ripe for the pickings for like if Tesla wants to beef up its infrastructure unit and just convert those to expand its network, it'd be so inexpensive for them to do it. Tesla really doesn't make a lot of those deals. Um, DocuSign, I'd love to see Adobe scoop them up just to make Adobe Sign even more competitive. Smartsheet, I mean, that's very much like Asana. So if you watch Asana's report on Tuesday, it's going to give a very good count for what you could see out of Smartsheet on Thursday. Although the financial profile of Smartsheet is more attractive than Asana, in my opinion. Raise, we talked about this before. Absolutely love the company, love the product. It's just, it's one that's never made it in the, into my portfolio because it just doesn't fit in as well. And then the rest kind of close it out. Kroger, I still hate that stock from back when I owned it in like 2017. Did I ever tell you about that? So it was like a Friday. I don't know what I was doing. I, I put on my value hat or something. I sold Whole Foods and bought Kroger. And I get to the office on Monday. I think it was a Monday. And it, it turns out Amazon had just bought Whole Foods. So the stock was up 20 something percent. And because Amazon was entering the grocery space, Kroger stock was down like 15 or 20%. So not only did I sell the day before, it would have been up significantly. I bought the stock, but then took a beating because of said acquisition. Oh, yeah, it was pretty rough. And, uh, and, uh, I sold another company the day before it got acquired. It was Mindbody. You remember those guys? Mm -hmm. MB? They do gym check-in stuff. Mindbody, you'll see the Mindbody app. A lot of gyms and fitness clubs will use it as their app for booking stuff. But, yeah, sold that the day before it got acquired. All right, guys, let's finally wrap it up. Shout out to PeakBot. Check out their promo code. It is PTT Pod for PeakBot. And another sponsor, again, is Underdog Sports, underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code PTT, and we'll be doing free giveaways throughout the year. It's going to be fun. Shy, you look like you're licking your lips. You just want to say? No. I'm just excited for football season. Like uh, I'm, you guys got me out stoked again. Like uh, actually, Underdog reminded me how excited I am for football season. It's been a while. It's been three months. I'm obsessed with just like sitting on the couch all day during the day on Saturday and all day on Sunday, just watching football. So now I'm just like happy I have a purpose to doing that. Like I can just tell my girlfriend, like I have to do this. It's part like. I have to do it. It's not, it's Obvious, not voluntary this is last, anymore. This is actually, you might have, no, no, no. This is the last season. You'll be sitting on the couch on a Saturday and Sunday watching football all day. No, I've already uh, made that uh, situation. I got in front of that. <laughs> I said Sundays are my day. We'll yeah, see. Right. You think that. Think that all you want. I was trying to give my, my locks for the night. With that being said, everyone enjoy your Labor Day weekend. Any plans, guys, by the way? You guys doing anything fun? I've been so busy uh, with like this and my uh, Bruce Wayne job. I call this my Batman job, and I call my Bruce Wayne job my actual like nine to five that I ghosted all my friends past like month or two. 
So uh, I'm going to be hanging out with them all weekend. And then uh, I have a date night plan on Sunday because I've also been neglecting my girlfriend a little. And maybe a Duffy boat on uh, Marina Del Rey on Monday. So that's what I'll be doing. A Duffy butt? Duff, Duff. Duffy bow. What is that? It's like those uh, little, it's like not as big as a regular boat, but it's, it's like dingy. not. He's going to get Have you guys been in Mexico City? It's like one of those boats that you see along the waters always that people partying on. That it's, there's like a table and just not. I get seasick, so you don't like move that much or shake. Interesting. I'm glad people stuck around for that amazing story. Joey, anything fun for you? Dude, soccer Saturday with the kids. It's just like back and forth in the soccer field for them. And then I think some family friends are saying we needed to hang out and barbecue. So probably going to do that. So just I just go wherever the kids drag me. Love it. What, what are you doing, Avi? On a jersey. The armpit of I'm, America. I was going to say, I'm sorry. I say, you should talk about that. You're not supposed to. At this. All right, guys. Enjoy. Have a great Labor Day weekend. We'll be back next week for another episode of Pounding at the Table. Drip on a honey, I say less, that's me. Y'all on level one, on level three. Pounding on the table for my team. Every night I flex, I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move. I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move. Yeah. play, don't talk about it. Master P, I'm bad about it. This one here for all that try to count me out and they still counting. Honestly, I never doubt it. Say the top is never crowded. Well, I'm trying to climb the mountain till I need a few. Count inside.